Welcome to Radio Survivor, for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul Reismanell, and we're here live at College Broadcasters, Inc. It's a national student media conference in Seattle, Washington. And we've got both your usual crew. To Right next to me here is Jennifer Waits. Hello. Eric Klein, of course, is here with us. Hello, everybody. I love radio. But who you're really here to hear from are our guests. So we want you to know we have with us Avery Martin who is a CBI student board representative. We will be asking you to explain that a bit in your production director at KCSU at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome, Avery. Yes, indeed. Good afternoon. And we have Amy Myers, your senior music director at KUSF.org. That's at the University of San Francisco. Thanks for joining us, Amy. Thanks for having me. And we're also glad to welcome John Morris. You're the president of CBI College Broadcasters Incorporated, but also you're the general manager of WSWI 95.7 The Spin at the University of Southern Indiana. Yes, thank you. Glad to be here. So we're here to talk about college radio's place in the media landscape right now. Right, We're here in like the first fifth of the 21st century, and if we all remember, radio is supposed to be dead uh, so none of us should be broadcasting and or even really talking. I don't to even each know if that joke lands anymore because <laughs> I mean that's a 15 year old joke. It's maybe. a 15 year old joke. Yeah, and so it's uh, a dad joke. Radio has survived the period of time when newspapers were declaring it dead, yeah. which was roughly around the time that Napster started destroying lots of business models. Who knows why they had to lump radio into that. Well, it's zeitgeisty and, moment. And that story, like, you know, th- think about it, it goes back to MTV and video killed the radio star. So there have been many instances where radio was sort of declared dead. So, so radio was declared dead 15 years ago. And now Matthew Lassar, one of the uh, co-producers of Radio Survivor, has declared uh, that we are in the post-radio the is post-radio dead era. We just sort era. of accept the fact that we're all still doing radio and that, to some extent, playlists are radio, there's internet radio, dash radio is radio, you're all doing radio, or you're working with someone doing radio, and we're just sort of accepting all, all of that here. Um, so we're going to talk about what, what is the, the place of college radio in this landscape right now, but yet, you know, it's still a pernicious concept that radio is dead. In fact, uh, we're, we're still hearing it, unfortunately, from, say, university administrators. Uh, Jennifer, you, you have an unfortunate quote to share with us. <laughs> and, and, and this is a very recent quote. And, and, and John, you, uh, unfortunately, it's from somebody in your own town. Yeah, yeah. just across the <laughs> just, town there. Just across town mm-hmm. there. Yeah, so, so we've been following the story about University of Evansville, where there have been rumors about a station potentially being for sale. And a a quote from an official statement from University of Evansville, uh, in part, uh, this is part of the quote. The idea to consider a sale of the radio station based on the future of communications is not a new one. In 2005, a sale was explored, and after much consideration, we decided to retain the radio station. Now, 13 years later, we are once again examining the relevancy of the medium and exploring opportunities to enhance our curriculum through providing additional experience in 21st century communication methods. Mm, what is, what's embedded in that? What are we they're, saying? They're going to get rid of their radio you know. station because it's outdated. That, I mean, that's how I read it, that radio does not equal 21st century communication methods. And, and that makes me sad. I don't believe that. <laughs> Avery, can I put you on the spot? Why not? All right. <laughs> so 
Is this true? Is radio just not a 21st century communication medium? I want to be polite, but I have to just say that's an outright lie. Uh-huh. It's, it's not true. And, and so how do you know it's a lie? What's, what's your evidence to, to put the lie to it? Hey, I have multiple friends that are doing radio and want to pursue radio. I, myself, three years ago, was interested in radio. And I, I have to say that it's, if anything, is growing. And the interest, especially with podcasts, I consider that radio. Mm. Yes, and you're here. If we're saying that podcasting is a medium of radio, then how can we say that radio's dying? Sure, we nobody listens to AM. If, if that's what he's talking about, <laughs> then yeah, sure. But that's it's just not true. People enjoy podcasts. People are longing for the long form, if you will. And this is something that's going to c- continue to grow. Amy, what do you think? You are there at, at KUSF, which is an online station. You've got some of your crew here in the audience. Uh, is that a 21st century medium, or, or is it, or, or is radio dead? Um, I think, if anything, like you said, it's growing. I think um, podcasts definitely count as radio, and I think podcasts are growing in a big way. It seems like pretty much everyone at this point is developing a podcast. It seems like. I think radio has definitely changed, but I do think it's culturally relevant. I mean, KUSF, we're very music-based, and I think, like, to this day, it remains a way for people to discover new music and share music with each other. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's interesting to me because KUSF used to have an FM signal, and, uh, you know, from an outsider perspective, it, it feels to me like you guys are as present as ever on campus, and and you ha- you were not there when there was an FM signal, but... From what you've heard, um, does it seem like this is a period where KUSF is very active and relevant on campus compared to the past? I think we're definitely, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because I work there, but we definitely work very hard to get our presence out there. And I think because we've lost FM signal, we've now had to work twice as hard to really Hmm. like get ourselves out there. So in that way, I think our presence, if anything, has increased. And I think um, whenever we speak to like members of the community or people who were familiar with KUSF as an FM station, they're super stoked to hear that we're back and we're you know, online only, but that we still have a presence. So I think that draws people back into. So we have like the old crowd coming back, and then we have new students and kind of introducing ourselves as a new type of media platform. What do you do to get out there? You say we get out there. What, what does that mean in practicality? Um, so we'll co-present shows around the city at different venues in San Francisco, which, you know, already have a big draw because fortunately we're in a city with a huge music scene. We table at campus events, you know, all the traditional methods and just sort of utilizing social media, which, you know, obviously when KUSF was an FM station, social media wasn't as big of a deal as it is now in 2018 so I think that's been a huge thing for us too and just like you know traditional word of mouth so we all have a great pride in our station I think wonderful now, John Morris you know you're president of CBI so clearly you have some investment in in radio and television yes, yes. Um, and you yourself though are general manager of an FM station I mean what, what do you think about this statement, you know, coming from a university saying, you know, that implies that, that radio is a 20th century phenomenon? I think some of that statement is a justification for what I think they're ultimately going to do, and that is to sell the station. 
Um, now, part of the issue with what's going on there is they don't really have a radio TV broadcast, real strong program, really any program in that. So not having that tie-in, uh, certainly, uh, you lose some of the leverage. You now, at the University of Southern Indiana, like many radio stations and colleges, you can earn college credit uh, while working there. If you're a radio TV major, that counts towards your uh, major. If you're not, then it counts towards general electives. So getting a credit count does help mm. quite a bit. Uh, but Really, the University of Evansville has drifted away from what they did before with incredible student involvement. Uh, I'm somewhat surprised uh, with what they're doing because of the ball games that they used to do, baseball mm. and softball mm-hmm. and soccer. But as some of the larger corporations have come in, IMG and some of those others that have purchased the rights, that's also moved oh, so some like of the commercial students. commercial stations are airing some of the, the sports broadcasts. Uh, yes. And uh, and so and this is a fight CBI's been having for a long time, trying to make sure that there's a place for sports among many other things. Mm-hmm. But if we're the university, our students should be able to go out and broadcast those ball games. Uh, even if you're a major Division One, your chances are very slim if you're going to have that happen. But you're not going to pull enough people away from that large major broadcast to make a difference. And I think. You know, I, I wrote about, a number of years ago, I wrote about the situation in 2005 at University of Evansville and how, mm-hmm. how people were able to convince the school to retain the license. And part of that did have to do with athletics mm. and, and other relationships that the station had with yes. people on campus. Um, and, and John, so you mentioned CBI. Uh, why don't we just back up a little bit and have you explain what College Broadcasters, Inc. is? Certainly. Uh, CBI, uh, an organization that in its name, it represents college broadcasters, but more than just broadcasters, because many of our programs are internet only, or some of the TV studios on campus don't have a signal. So, you know, they have their YouTube channels and things like that. So uh, certainly we have the convention here, uh, and by here I mean each year we move different places, but a place to come together to share ideas. We bring professionals in uh, to hear what they have to say, you know, what do the students need to be doing to prepare for what that professional world is going to be like. And then there have been some times we've gotten involved in some legal issues. Um, Mm. Perhaps the biggest was when it came time for what kind of copyright fees we were going to pay for Mm. streaming music. And uh, we had one of our representatives speak in front of a congressional session there, a committee rather, and uh, made a huge difference, you know, because for some universities, the sound exchange fee for non-commercial educational was $500 a year plus $100 to not have to report. For some schools, that's a major deal. And if it had been into the thousands, that would have made a huge difference. So we're here for general support, and when we need to, we step up uh, to help with some legal support in certain issues. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and it's been great. Uh, We used to be connected with two other organizations in in media, and we uh, broke off on our own about five, six years ago, and it's been amazing how just the broadcasting side has grown. And I think that in and of itself is some of, don't believe the talk that radio is dead, and again, we're not all radio, but if it was, our numbers would be declining. 
And while the University of Evansville may be getting rid of a station, I'll tell you what, there's many universities, colleges out there that are adding online programs. Uh, back if uh, we get the next LPFM window, there's going to be some colleges that are going to be signing up for that as well. So you've well. been seeing growth. Yes. Right. That, yes. I think that's an important, yeah. important thing. We don't, we don't, we don't want to lose and that. And I've seen that. that with LPFM, too. I, I counted around 100 colleges that applied for LPFM licenses and maybe around 75 um, actually received licenses. So, you know, Low Power FM has been such a boon for radio, including mm-hmm. college radio, high school radio. And, and that, to me, is another sign of the non of the mm-hmm. end of the radio is dead era. And if I might add one note of cynicism to the University of Evansville uh, announcement that they're considering the sale or vague, vaguely considering the sale. I think that announcement was a little vague. Um, if it wasn't, if they weren't getting the price that they wanted for the sale, radio has to be pretty valuable. If there weren't a market, yeah. If they're considering selling it. That's right. So it's just not valuable to them, so maybe they're using the wrong Metric. Uh, metrics. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to add to your cynicism, every time I see a statement like that, I figure it was actually written by the people who are trying to convince the station to sell their license. <laughs> by half a dozen public relations by firms that special, yeah. specialize yeah. in selling off college radio stations. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's double speak. And with that, if radio wasn't a business, iHeart would shut that down in a flash. Now, iHeart, yes, they did. Uh, Declare bankruptcy. <laughs> but it's a different wa- episode of Radio Survivor. Wa- yeah, yeah. It wasn't because it's not making money. They just yeah. took on too much debt load at the front. But yeah. if there was no money, no future in it, they're going to sell it and walk away from it. That's a really great point. And so, Avery, you know, you're on the student board. You're your student board member for, for mm-hmm. CBI. What, what does that mean? What do you do? I serve as the liaison between the board and students. So oh, wow. I am... Conversing with students, making sure that everybody is enjoying their time, um, and uh, making sure that the messages from the board are being relayed correctly to the students, and making sure that everybody's making the proper connections as well, and filling in here and there with the odd jobs. So, <laughs> so, are you, yeah. so are you primarily um, doing that during the national conference, or are there other times of year when you're reaching out to students? Yes, it's primarily two times during the year. Um, we have our summer retreat where, is, uh, where I learned everything, where I learned the ropes of CBI and learned some of our history and what it is that I am expected to do. And this is the, this is the game. You know, the, the, before it was a scrimmage and um, the, the conference calls and everything that was preparing me. And now I'm here. And now I'm connecting with the students and making sure that they're making their connections and um, filling in wherever they need me, answering any questions that I may have the answer to. So do you ever bring uh, radical ideas from students to the board that are surprising? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. So hit up, hit now up that the seed is planted. The seed is planted. So if you have any ideas I can bring back, please I, let I think me know. it says a lot about CBI that you know they have a student voice on the board because you often think about these national organizations as maybe – you know, being people who maybe have been around maybe a little bit longer than you have. And um, so, so how does that make you feel, that, that there is a student voice? It is a, an incredible blessing. Like, it, it makes me feel so valuable. And they, every meeting that we have, they say, what input do you have? You know, they ask me consistently, what is it that you would want to bring? And I'm still, you know, wide-eyed that I even have the opportunity. You know, it's, it's incredible. So I... 
I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here and thankful to John and everyone on the board that, um, that I'm able to do this. But um, yeah, it just means that they value younger voices and that they understand that this is a landscape that's constantly changing. So they need a mind that is evolving, you know, since the, the younger generation's minds are at a constant pace, you know, the, the way the, that media works in general, it is incredibly fast. So it goes to show that they have a care for the speed and they are up to speed, you know, obviously faster than everyone else if they have a student representative. And then a fringe benefit, obviously, everybody else on the board is older, so having Ave here, he was able to show us how to use the app for the convention. So. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Tech support. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, and as we're talking about technology, uh, I'm thinking about, so at KUSF.org, Amy, um, are you guys doing any new projects right now that, that maybe people might be surprised about that are on the cutting edge of technology? I mean, I think we're just kind of doing our usual projects, so like the rock and swap, making zines for the zine session that we just had. Um, there's technology. Yeah, zines, so there's technology. right? Uh, yeah. I do think we pride ourselves on being very DIY and kind of like in that sense, we sort of differentiate ourselves from different college radio stations. We kind of like to keep it old school a little bit. Nice. Old school, but, but online. Yeah. So the best of both worlds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and is the rock and swap kind of in that same vein? Maybe you can explain to everybody what a rock and swap is. So a few times a year we have a rock and swap, which is our big annual fundraiser for the station. And basically it's, well, it's the largest record fair in Northern California. And we have mm. vendors from all over the country come out to our campus to sell primarily vinyl records. We have CDs, obviously. There's you know live recordings of concerts and things like that. Um, but it's a huge event. We put a lot of work into it, especially our manager, Miranda. Um, she really keeps it together for all of us. But um, it's a great draw for new students who are kind of like getting more involved with music on campus and in San Francisco. Um, it's a great community event for people in SF, people in the Bay Area, and just people from music lovers all over the country um but i think it kind of fits into that you know old school tied in with technology in the sense that like we're we're selling vinyl and we're geeking out over vinyl records but it's also like the modern age and people like to think that um everything's mp3 now which like isn't necessarily the truth i mean i think vinyl sales are at an all-time high for the first time in like a decade or so so i think that event is like a perfect physical example of kind of like our ethos as a station. I mean, what I'm hearing about your station, it sounds like, I mean, I think you use the word platform already, right? But that you're, you're, you've got this anchoring here, you know, here's a radio station, but it's a cultural institution and you had, you have some history and you have a new era of the station. The history was, it was a broadcast station, FM. Now it's an online station, but you've kept some of that, uh, tradition alive while doing while doing new things is that is that an adequate way of looking at it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, KUSF has been a station and like an on-campus entity since like 1963, mm-hmm. so we've kept it going for a long time, obviously. And I think um, KUSF has such a rich history, and it's something that I mean, I listened to KUSF when I was in high school before I was even like accepted to the university. Like, I knew people who were DJing there. I know. You know, some of my favorite musicians were DJs at KUSF, and it's always been something that I've known about and that I've 
talked to people about over the years, even prior to my time at the station. Um, and even just, you know, speaking to people, like, at my job, like, I work at a venue and everybody knows about KUSF, and, like, I'll go to shows and mention that I work at KUSF. Like, people definitely know about it and definitely, you know, people of all age groups. So it's really cool to hear um, people's love for the station over the years, not just since we've become an FM station. Yeah, it's really cool that you have respect for that history and also that there's the combination of, of the new and the old. I think, um, I think you rightly sort of corrected my question in a way that maybe we think that people are, that young people are moving forward into apps and, you know, this interconnected world, but there also seems to be this real desire to do handmade things and you know I know that cassette tapes that culture is still really alive and as you were talking I was wondering if if that was something that you see at, at KUSF too like do you play cassettes in addition to vinyl do you ever make mixtapes at the station yeah I mean we definitely encourage DJs to play all mediums of music I know myself and a lot of like my directors we play vinyl and cassettes in different mediums um, we have a big vinyl library in the station our office is actually like lined with shelves and shelves of vinyl records um as music director i definitely take like cassettes and out into the library vinyl so we like to have a little bit of everything and then even in our training sessions with new djs too we teach them you know how to use the record player how to use a cassette player it's not just like plug the aux cord into your <laughs> laptop so you know we give everyone the option and the tools they need to kind of tap into whatever medium now, now, Avery Martin, you are at KCSU at Colorado mm-hmm. State University. That's Fort Collins, Colorado. That's like, what, about 90 minutes north of the Denver area? Uh, about 60 minutes. 60 yeah, about minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a, it's a smaller town than, say, say, San Francisco, and you have an FM signal there. Yes. So what, how do you perceive the role or the reception of your station in the Fort Collins area? Our radio station is Fort Collins. We uh-huh. represent Fort Collins. We represent the surrounding cities, Loveland, Greeley, a few of the smaller other towns. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about a 45, 50-mile range, and we stress vocal- uh, locality. You know, it's, everything is local at KCSU, and that's why our community loves it. That's why people are really engaged with it, and that's why we have um, plenty of alumni and community members that come in and want to interact with uh, the DJs, whether young or um, our past alumni DJs, and um, is it all student DJs? Yes. Okay. Yes, we're all student. Um, during the summer, we open it up to the community and open it up to alumni, mm. so that's really cool. Um, going as free format as possible, um, but as far as our role goes, it is definitely being as local as possible and making sure that Fort Collins is known to Fort Collins. And, and so what does that mean in, in sort of in, in concrete terms? Like how does, how does someone know this is a Fort Collins station when they tune in? Hmm. And, you know, so it, you know, cause you, you, so much of the time, if you're driving up an interstate and you, and you tune in the radio and you hear a station and, and this could, you know, it could be Dallas, it could hmm. be Denver, it could be Portland, Maine, right? It, it's, yeah. It sounds all the same. So if they hear your station, what says, what screams Fort Collins? Well, a part of it is our legal ID, KCSU Fort Collins. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> However, the local artists that we have are directly tied to the city. You know, there's plenty of artists that have street names in their, in their band name. Um, and our local lunch hour show uh, that our local director runs, 
Uh, she does an excellent job of making sure that it is local artists. Wait, wait, you're the local director? I know, yes. Was, wait a yes. second. Tell me that is tell a, us about this. What is that? Tracks too. Yes. She communicates with local artists and okay. she always has at least one or two live in studio bands that that come in. Um, and usually it's usually it's Fort Collins artists. But we've had Denver artists, Greeley artists, um, pretty much anyone in Colorado is welcome to do a live in studio at KCSU. And how often do you do those? Weekly. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And so this, uh, is anyone, we're full of broadcasters in here in the room. Does anyone here have a local director? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, this is something I've hands. never heard of. This yeah. is fantastic. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. What, what, what's your station? Radio UTD. I'm sorry? Radio UTD. Radio UTD. Okay, that's University of Texas Dallas. Is that right? Where, where is? Same. Okay, and we saw one on our hand back there. WRFL in Lexington. Wow. This is fantastic. That's cool. I mean, this is an innovation, and I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm behind the times here. <laughs> Well, this is a really seen, great innovation that stations should pick up on. Yeah, I've seen local shelves and stations, mm-hmm. yeah. but having you know somebody where it's their job to focus on that is is it's like an cool. ambassador. Yeah, it is right. And and so we we had this conversation just a few weeks ago at the grassroots radio conference. It's full of uh, people from community radio stations, some college radio stations as well, right? And so uh, and the, you know so these are folks who have stations that are a lot like yours. Um, and we talked a lot about that community outreach, which is often very difficult. The communities can get insular. And, you know, that's an idea I want to I wanna scream from the rooftops at some place like Grassroots Radio Conference, that you assign somebody to be that ambassador to local, to, to, to really connect it. And so do you feel like that gives your station at, at Colorado State really good buy-in from those local musicians and artists? Absolutely. Absolutely. They feel as though their music is valued at KCSU. It's not like they're just sending out an email to the ether and seeing if they can get a response. They know that KCSU is going to respond. They know that they will have good DJs that interview them. They know that our engineers are going to set it up perfectly so that they sound good, um, that everything goes well. So, you know, it's, it's all about trust and it's all about empathy. And they know that uh, our, our local band scene and our uh, local promotion scene know that KCSU is going to care. And Trust they're do it and right. empathy Absolutely. were the two words you used. Mm-hmm. Um, why would there not be trust? What do they? What do the? What do the local musicians have to compare this against? You know, unfortunately, in the current media landscape, not many have trust for media in general. It could be anywhere from. I have to say the the politics word. I have to say that, but not many have that much faith in people that are going to make sure that their music is played and make sure that they say their name correctly. <laughs> you know, it, it's unfortunate, and the fact that everyone is so busy and everybody is connected everywhere else with the local scene. Sometimes bands can feel as though they're not cared about, mm-hmm. but the fact that KCSU takes the initiative to do these things they know that we're going to do it correctly. And we can be an inspiration for other stations as well. That's cool. What do we call that job title again? Local director. The local, local director. Yeah. The local director. Local music director or just local director? It went from local music to straight local director. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What's the non-music uh, part of the file? Um, that's primarily just communicating with different 
people in the community. That's the collaboration between the promotion, the promotions director and local. Um, so it could be just events that go on in the city. She's going to be involved with that as well. You're listening to a live recording of Radio Survivor from Seattle, Washington, and the College Broadcasters Incorporated annual convention. We're talking about the place of college radio in today's media landscape. And we have two college radio students joining us. Avery Martin is a student board representative for CBI, and he's production director at KCSU at Colorado State University. And Amy Myers, who is a senior music director at KUSF.org, which is at the University of San Francisco. And we're also talking with John Morris, who's the president of CBI. He's also the general manager of WSWI at the University of Southern Indiana. And we will get back to that live recording in just a moment. Radio Survivor is supported by Spinatron. Spinatron's web-based system lets non-commercial radio stations publish music playlists on their website. Entry is optimized so that busy DJs can edit and manage their own playlists. Spinatron also connects to major automation systems. Learn more at Spinatron.com. That's S-P-I-N-I-T-R-O-N.com. And you can learn more about what we've talked about on this week's episode by going to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, where you can, of course, find back episodes of this program, like the previous week's episode, where we got into the connection of the Parents Music Resource Center and College Radio. That's radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We now return to Seattle for this live discussion. John Morris, you're the president of CBI and a general manager at WSWI, The Spin, University of Southern Indiana. And and John, so we've been talking we've been talking a little bit about Evansville. So I was curious about your station and how The Spin fits into the whole media landscape uh, in Evansville. Well, uh, what I'm going to open here is going to it's going to open up the general what is college radio argument. We take the approach more of a professional station. We run a single format. It's alternative. But uh, we do, much like you have, we have uh, on every Friday the local show, and we have a local show music director, and their job is to uh, go out and get those uh, bands on the air, get their music in. And for us, we're market 163. It's not... It's not Fort Collins. You guys have a great music scene. So we do reach out about two to three hours. We'll pull bands in from Indianapolis. What does Market 163 mean? means there's 162 markets larger than us. New York's number one. In LA's the Arbitron radius. So it's rel- yeah. relatively big. That's what you're saying? No. Compared to Fort Collins. No, it's it's smaller. Um, I didn't understand what the Well, I forget what, what number you are. Yeah, how many markets was. are there? So we have perspective. Why did something. you bring up this number? <laughs> yeah, um, because Not numbers matter. It, it be, and the reason I was bringing it up is because even at a small number, small okay. a market small number. that we're we're dealing with, uh, 
it's important, just like what you're talking about. We have that local show, um, and we get, as I was saying, Indianapolis, Louisville, uh, Nashville, and St. Louis. We get bands that will travel three hours up just to be on the show for one hour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then if they have the music, that's good. And we do stick to the alternative indie music format during that uh, local show. Uh, that if their music fits, it's also going to get put in that rotation. And then if it's of the higher quality, it'll get put in our regular rotation as well. So uh, we actually have a minimum of one local uh, band per hour. Okay. And then, you know, then we have all our other different categories in the clock. But we want to make sure people know that we are paying attention to local artists. But again, it goes beyond just that, uh, the music aspect. We do all the University of Southern Indiana radio broadcasts, men's and women's basketball, uh, baseball, softball. We've done soccer in the past, sports that any commercial station, you know, certainly men's basketball will get coverage, but commercial stations aren't going to touch them. And they're working every bit as hard mm-hmm. as the uh, men's basketball team. So, you know, that gives coverage for those teams, but it also gives great opportunities for our students. And what's really cool right now, there's more opportunities in professional announcing of sports than there's ever been i was going to ask you about that because i mean in part i mean one of the reasons is obvious uh sports are still live you still we don't yet have the robot announcers we still don't have alexa and siri siri announcing our games you have to have a live correct person announcing those games and that is that the growth and there's, what, we have a great number the there, yeah. and, and we have had great success lately getting our announcers, our sportscasters out there. I graduated back in the, uh, not the 60s, I'm not that old, back in the <laughs> uh, 80s. And when I graduated, I knew I was going to get a job in radio. Not because I thought I was that great, although I probably did think that. Um, it more had to do with all these mom and pop stations, all of them needed people to work so i knew there was a job there then with consolidation there for a while radio was a tough business to break into but now we're we're having tremendous success getting people into commercial radio getting you know some travel over into uh, tv be it djs and djs a tough job to break into Uh, i'm proud uh, the number one contemporary hit radio station in our market uh, their morning shows, number one in the demo, all three of them came through our station. Okay. You know, and and not so, everybody who comes through the station wants to get into that world, but we want to make sure they understand that world. And you've been there since 1999, is that correct? As a station man, or general manager, yes, but I was a part of doing some things there professionally in 92. Oh, wow. So... So in that time, what are some of the notable changes at your radio station? Well, we were talking before about, it's interesting because at UE, University of Evansville, it sounds like they're going to sell their station. We're an AM radio station, and Abe, you kind of dogged us, and for good reason. (laughs) AM is hard to listen to these days because of interference. There's so much electronic stuff out there. It used to sound better when we were younger. Yes, well, we could hear better than not, two. Well, so. not but not just the content. The signal strength yeah, of yes. AM radio oh, it's, it's was clearer true. and less uh, 
less difficult to listen to in your car than it is in 2018, 2019. Without a doubt. But um, LED traffic lights. Yeah. And um, when the FCC opened up a window that you could purchase an FM translator and bring it from 250 miles away into your own market, our university jumped on that. Hmm. So I look at that difference between UE, which has a fantastic signal thinking of selling that. For us, we are so thankful to be able to have a 250-watt transmitter that reaches uh, way further than we ever imagined it would. And certainly, just to Ave with what you're talking about, there's no doubt when we flipped over to FM, of course, we got some promotion out of it, but our numbers look, uh, we're, we're three times to four times higher in all our numbers across so, the so board. So you subscribe to ratings? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, we look at all the, the data uh, on our digital signal and stuff with uh, streams and all. But, and that's one of the hard things for San Francisco, owning Having that license, over-the-air license, is a promotion in and of itself for everything that you do on the digital stream. And when you're online only, and some places do it incredibly well, it's how do you break into the market. And uh, there's been some universities, much like you're talking about in San Francisco, that are doing a fantastic job. you got to break through that noise to say, hey, pay attention to me over here. And certainly having that FM translator now has made a huge difference. So some of what, uh, some of what you were mentioning, John, about uh, you know, stations that have survived have these relationships on campus, like with athletics. Um, so I'm curious, um, Amy, if, if at KUSF, do you, does your station have interactions or projects with other departments or other student groups and, you know, how do you engage um, across all the different things happening at University of San Francisco? Um, so we have an organization on campus called USF TV, which is just video production. It's a student-run organization. Um, and we've collaborated with them when we've done live events on campus. So they've come in and, you know, film bands that we've had play and make little, like, five-minute montages or just a quick, like, recording of that band to post on their YouTube page and then to share on, like, you know the school's social media so that way it kind of provides like content for the band and also for us and then that way we've sort of like come together as student-run organizations to you know create student-made media um we also collaborate with the student newspaper every so often just you know they'll do like promotions for us on their paper the social media or their website um and then again we'll different organizations on campus I mean even things as random as like the nursing department will have us come and like DJ events for them Hmm. so people know we're available to you know collaborate with them in any way and people know of us on campus basically Hmm. the video I think you know that's something that I definitely see when I'm out and about that it seems like uh, something that many radio stations are are doing more and more video so was that something where it was it was something that you you felt like was really important for KUSF to have a video component? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was super cool to have. We haven't really had that in the past farther than, like, you know, things that we've, like, recorded on our phones or something. So it was cool to have, like, a professionally made video that we were able to post on the homepage of our website and share on our social media just to give people who weren't at the show or who aren't students an idea of, you know, what we do as an organization and as, like, the production aspect of our radio station. Yeah. 
And how does the nurses department know that you're available to DJ? Uh, which, I mean, we just sort of make ourselves heard on campus. You know, we table at all kinds of like campus organization, like informational sessions. Um, you know, we're always like posting flyers around for having like a show coming up. We'll post it all over campus, not just like in the Wilbur Arts building. And um, we just sort of get the word out there year round so people know to look for us. And some, if I could just jump in on that, some universities are really fortunate they planned well that they've put the radio stations in very visible places, yeah. be it in the student union or wherever. We're, when I took over, it was the first year in our new building, and I wish I could have been there to help with the design because they put our uh, DJ booth against the back wall. <laughs> and I said, I'd, I'd love to flip it and put it along the hall, put a big window there. That in and of itself is just going to be, hey, look at me. You have no choice but to look at me. Do any of you have speakers? I visited, so I I tour a lot of radio stations, and and yesterday I toured, I think, five stations, and and some of them had speakers. Not only did they have windows facing hallways, but some of them had speakers, so if you were walking by the station, you you were treated to the sounds of the radio station. So, Avery, do you have... I, I visited KCSU, but I can't remember now if there are speakers. I know there's a big window. Yes, yes, there is. When was the last time you visited? Like a couple years ago. It was during Pokemon Go. During, oh, okay. During that rage. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Because somebody came up to the window. Well, there's a Pokemon were, in the I think it's still going. They were looking for Pokemon if Go. If you're still into it, it's yeah. still around. It was like the weekend that it started. Oh, so literally oh. everywhere we went, people were stopping and, and doing it. So that's how I remember whenever that was. Yeah, it hasn't changed since then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we do have speakers. Um, there are two as you go down. We are in the basement of our student center. Um, which seems like a poor location, but it's great for us because everybody's always up and down the stairs there. And there's also a little microbrewery because it's Colorado. Um, so you people are always... You microbrewery <laughs> in your student center. Yes, we do. It's yes, like, we do. You can see it from no, the... Is this students brewing beer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we... We have a brewmaster, of course. Uh, There's, two, of course, supervision, but we do have... Paul's, Paul's uh, considering changing careers. 20 years too late, man. <laughs> I got to go back wow. to school. Yeah. Hey. Pokemon CSU Go was, was July smaller. of 2016, Jennifer. Oh, very good. Thank you. Yeah, you can see it from the booth, can't you? You can yes. see the brew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a little fishbowl where the DJs DJ, and we have speakers that line it, so um, you always have people that stop and you know acknowledge the fact that they're nodding to your music or um, hearing <laughs> what it is that you have to say, so it's, it's great. Well, you know, the thing I think that you're sort of pointing out here in these various approaches is that, you know, it used to be with an FM signal, you know, a big part of audience building was just being there, right? Mm-hmm. Someone spins the dial and eventually stumbles upon something and maybe they hear something, they're like, whoa, what is this? And they stick around. Or they don't. Sometimes they're like, I'll never listen to that again. But, you know, they stumble upon. And now... That I mean, that's just not working. It's not really working for radio anymore also, even if you have an FM signal. So it sounds like you're creating these stumble-upon moments, right? So if you're tabling or you're DJing the event for the School of Nursing or doing these various things, you're making yourself as a station available and open, and people can find you in all these other ways. Because certainly for, like, an online station, there's no good directory, right? There's, like, tune-in. Right, and maybe it'll tell you the stations there, but otherwise it's kind of hard to find you. And so I kind of want to ask you, Amy, I mean, are you, in these experiences, do you find that, like, there are people who are like, wait, wait, I've never heard of you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we get that a lot with new students, obviously, who are, mm, like, completely mm-hmm. unfamiliar with USF. And maybe not from the area. Yeah, maybe not from the area. Um, I feel like with our station specifically, since we're in this unique situation where we used to be FM, we get a lot of community members and students and, like, faculty who don't know that KUSF is back. They thought it just <laughs> ended in 2011. So mm-hmm. I think that's been the biggest, like, surprise moment for people is the fact that, like, we still exist, just in yeah. a new form. I think, I, I feel like there's still a lot of confusion about that, especially since some of the former volunteers applied for a low-power FM permit, and they're now on the radio dial with that station. And, and sometimes the media reports on that are that KUSF is back, mm-hmm. even though KUSF.org never went away. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do, you, how do you grapple with that confusion? I mean, that's been a very relevant topic for us as a station and something we've been kind of struggling with a little bit or rather combating for the last few years. Um, I mean, our manager, Miranda, has, like, written to, you know, newspapers who have, like, mistakenly, you know, referred to as, like, KSF is back or just, Hmm. um, like, the other group and not referring to us as, like, the original KSF and this and that. So we are, like, doing what we can to... I don't want to like educate the public, but just inform them that like the original KUSF just took a little break, and now we're back online, you know. Um, and with and with a very student focus right. too. So KUSF in the past had a large number of community non-student volunteers, mm-hmm. and then you know towards the end of its FM days, a much smaller number of students. So from you know just being a witness to it it would appear that now it's, you know, student-run and all students. So it, it's very much, if you want to counteract maybe a university saying the station's not serving our students, that is absolutely not the case now with the current version of KUSF. Definitely, yeah. I mean, as an FM station, it was almost entirely community members. There was very little, very, very little student involvement. And now it's, you know, completely run by students. It's student-produced. Everything we put on is you know, run by students, all the DJs are students, and in the last few years or so, we've had a few community members come in and DJ, but because they've known about KUSF for so long, and now they're like, you know, are really stoked to be part of the community and DJ, even though it's online only, they, you know, understand, like, the legacy of KUSF and are excited to get involved, Um, but I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate that we don't have an FM signal anymore, but on the flip side of that, we do have an incredible amount of student involvement. So in that way, it's been almost a better progression. So I want to uh, take all of this. We're hearing like a lot of great like tips I hear. Um, now we're going to take a little different direction. I'm going to ask you, so what are college radio stations doing wrong? And you don't need to call anybody out. Right. And so, you know, you, you're, you, you maybe hear other stations, you hear from other stations, maybe even it's something happened at your station. You don't have to say, you don't have to say where it is <laughs> or who it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw this to you, Avery, because you've got a little bit of an overview working on the board. What are some things that college radio stations are doing wrong? And you can interpret that however you want. Okay. Wrong. How, whatever it means to you. You know, I think it's necessary to take a full circle. I think the one thing that we as college radio people get wrong is the fact that we think we're dead and we're not that 
that fallacy that, you know, radio is dying. Oh, nobody's really listening. That is the biggest thing that they do wrong. It's a, a wrong of disposition rather than actually doing something wrong. You know, it's, it's the mindset that should change. Um, it's the fact that what we're doing is meaningful. What these students are doing is going to lead to careers. These media jobs aren't dying. Media mm-hmm. isn't a, a field of lies. You know, it's an, it's an incredible amount of integrity that goes into it, whether you're a music promoter, promoter or you're going to be a, a, a news reporter. Oh. It goes, goes all the way around. How do you inhabit that at the station? How do you, like, get that sensibility knit in and, 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 and you know, really make sure people embrace it? On a macro or micro level? Oh, I, I think we have to talk about it on a micro level, maybe. Like, okay. at a station. How do you do that? Okay. Individually, I would say from the student perspective – you should know that, as I mentioned, what you're doing is important. And what do you you're doing that? will how do, lead. How do you know that? Does someone tell hmm. you? <laughs> you See, that's, I mean? <laughs> that's where it comes in. That's really, it has to be intrinsic. And hmm. to, to know what you're doing is important, I suppose it does have to come from external validation. Uh-huh. Um, but really, Write down everything it is that you do and compare it to what professionals do. Because I can guarantee that it is, if it doesn't mirror what the professionals are doing, I can guarantee that it's close. Because what these students do on a regular basis, speaking to real life people, this is, this is the real life, you know. These kids are doing, uh, these adults are doing great things. I still <laughs> refer to adults. myself as a kid, to be honest. Yeah. It doesn't feel like I'm grown yet. But, um, but yeah, if you just look at your resume, if you look at the, the connections that you've made, take a look through your wallet, see how many business cards you have. You know, There's an incredible amount of connections that I've made just within the past few months with CBI that wouldn't have been possible without radio. And I know that multiple people with KCSU and people with CTV, our campus uh, television station, haven't or wouldn't have made the connections they did without student media. So just knowing that what you're doing is important and taking a step back and not just striving and seeing what you're doing as, you know, just a hamster wheel, but seeing that you're making progression. That is the most important piece. Wow. It's a pretty it's a pretty rare experience that I mean, all of us who've done college radio know how how solid and real life that experience is you're getting experience that you can translate to so many different careers and so many life lessons and managing people and you know how many other 18 year olds get to manage people and you know set up a program schedule and talk to uh, people from record labels on the phone Uh, it's it's pretty amazing and you know i'm glad that that you're recognizing that already you know and not just in hindsight um and, you know, back to Paul's question about what stations are doing wrong, John, you have the perspective of being the president of CBI, so you talk to lots of stations, and, uh, you know, is there, is there maybe one thing or uh, something surprising, something that might surprise us about what stations are doing wrong in 2018? Truthfully, I think the biggest one is they forget about the audience. Mm. There's times college radio becomes, this is about me 
having fun, and that's great. You should be having fun, but the ultimate goal should be about the audience. How are you connecting with the audience? Uh, what are you telling the audience? Uh, one that I have to remind my students of every now and then is, wow, you said something, both of you laughed, it was really funny, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, it was an inside joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, we called that dorm radio. Yeah, um, and, and I think it kind of goes back to what Ave was saying. Yes, we are college radio. It's a learning tool. We get to make mistakes. This is a training ground, but it still should be all about the audience. What, the next time I open the mic, what am I going to say that that audience cares about? Uh, what are they going to remember? Or frankly, do I just need to play the next song? Cause, and I'll ask my students sometimes, hey, what are you going to talk about? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, why do you think the audience will care? Uh, then maybe we need to keep looking because they, they want it to be entertained. And I do think for some stations, especially smaller ones, sometimes we literally forget there's an audience out there. It may not be in the thousands, maybe in the hundreds, but even if there's just one, it's that one person who cares. So always remember the audience. Yeah, I like that advice a lot. And, you know, I work professionally in podcasting. So people come to me and ask me that question often, like, what should I do for my podcast? And my first question is almost always, well, who's your audience? Who, who, who do you expect that you're talking to? Everybody. Right. And that's what you get. That's what people say. And, and we're going to talk about all the stuff. Eric, Eric's setting me up because I'm always like, your audience isn't everybody. Right. Right. You know, for any given show on any of your stations, your audience is not all of San Francisco. It's not all of Fort Collins. You have some idea. You have some idea. You can guess. In some cases, you have data that shows you who they are. And that's really helpful because, you know, it's – and I think, you know, it, the other part is, right, you talk about you know, not maybe it's not a huge audience. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Uh, each one of them is a person. So, so whether it's a 1,000 of them or a million of them or, or 12 of them, each one is a person. And they're receiving you. And that's kind of an important relationship, I think, because it sounds like for, for your stations, by and large, we're still talking about actual real people, right, mm -hmm. behind a microphone, talking to these actual, talking with these actual people who are listening on their computer or on their phone or on, on, their, actual, on their actual radio, right? Uh, not, you don't have computers talking to people, right? <laughs> pretty much, right? Is that, right. Amy, you yeah. have pretty much live people Yeah. Okay, KUSF? And then, is that on purpose? Did you, is that like a decision you've made and you want to stick with that you're going to have live people there on your station? Yeah, I mean, we try to have live programming to fill as many hours of the day yeah. as possible. Um, well, just one to kind of add, like, obviously, like, figuratively and literally a human element to radio. And also, I mean, like, with the advent of things like Spotify and Pandora, it's like anyone can go on a computer and just, you know, listen to a pre-made playlist of music but what's different about radio is that you get that human aspect and you're, you kind of get this, you know, you're not listening to a playlist you made last week of your favorite songs. You're listening to someone else's curation. So in that way, you're discovering new things and you're, you know, being reminded of old songs that you used to love. And so it's, I think it's a really unique experience and it's something you can't get with robots. And like, what, what's the extra? What's the little extra there when it's you playing me these songs on KUSF? instead of just sending me your Pandora playlist or sending me your Spotify playlist that you made? What's the extra something for having you there in, in that studio? Um, 
I mean, I'm thinking like of mic breaks. I mean, you hear about the why aspect of, you know, of a person's playlist, you know, like, I mean, I think when anyone does anything creative, there's always some sort of motive behind it. You know, hopefully it stems from a sort of passion for whatever medium they're tapping into. So, you know, you're playing a song by a favorite band because, you know, you have this memory attached to it or you're, like, going to see this band play tomorrow night, so that's why you played this song. And just, again, going back to kind of, like, the humanity of radio and the way it ties into music as a culture Mm -hmm. and it's, like unique role within that. I like how you're talking about that in such a personal way and and people talk about radio as being one of the most intimate forms of media that you're, you know, speaking into people's homes and cars and into their lives. And right into their ear holes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that really captures that. And I also think it's really interesting that you said that you're adding the human element to radio um, because there is this landscape where people are discovering a lot of music these days in these more inhuman ways and on you know YouTube and Spotify. So it, it kind of flips the thinking of some of us old timers to think about you know adding the human element back into radio when perhaps radio was originally the most human and the most intimate. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it, this is why you know we're having this conversation, why we even think to have it, right? Uh, because of the fact that, frankly, on the rest of the radio dials in all of your cities, you probably don't have actually a lot of human beings there. John, am I wrong? If we go, if we go to Evansville and I start visiting all the commercial radio clusters there, am I likely to find human beings on the air at 3 in the afternoon at most of the stations or only just a few of them? Probably in Evansville, about half the stations. About half, and that's yeah, great. And yeah, uh, the two ownership groups we have in Evansville, they really do tend to care about, especially their top stations, mm-hmm. they want that connection there. And that's what it's all about. Are they locally owned or regionally owned? They're, for the most part, regionally owned. Yeah. And uh, none of the, the, either of the two ownership groups, they're not in the large markets. So they've built it all around small markets mm. and they have a good understanding of what drives that. So, you know, it, again, it's that human connection. Uh, they're going to be out at the parades. They're going to be out at the big events. Uh, you know, one of my grads is the morning host. And boy, people know her. And they'll say, oh, when you were talking about whatever this morning, it really hit me. And I I could really, I almost started tearing up because of what you said. And you you can't get that certainly from just when it's running automation. But even some of those national syndicated shows, they're so far removed that it's hard to make that connection. And to see somebody at the grocery store that you just listened to, that's cool. I mean, that's cool that that's still going on in Evansville. Because I know I listen to Portland radio, mm-hmm. and if I'm listening in three three in the afternoon, I can I can hear that automation. Yep. I'm like, it's interesting that DJ. He seems to uh, he seems to have an 18 hour shift. Yep. <laughs> he's he's on at four in the morning, and he's on at three in the afternoon, and then he's on at nine p.m. How did that happen? Well, it's because he actually has a three hour shift. <laughs> To record all those voiceovers, I don't know what's it like in Fort Collins. Do you do you do you have a sense? Do you even listen to the other stations there in Fort Collins, Avery? I do, I do, and there are quite a few live DJs. That's good. Um, you know, once again, it's definitely stressing local 
Um, yeah. So the other stations, we have one um, in downtown Fort Collins, a little bit way up the block from from the campus. And um, but as far as the other universities in Colorado, definitely automation. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, do you listen around the dial? I mean, so in, you know, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, or are you a partisan? <laughs> I mean. Um we have Calix across the bay oh, yeah. Berkeley, which does a great job. Not a commercial station. True. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of cool, you know, independent media sources in San Francisco mm-hmm. that do create really great content. Um, and I think, again, I've mentioned this before, we do have this incredible advantage of being in a city with such a rich musical history and also just, you know, to this day, there's so many incredible bands in San Francisco. So I think, you know whether it's radio or podcasting or music-based programming, what have you, like there's always a rich scene to tap into. That's definitely the feeling I have. At at one point I moved away from San Francisco to a small town, and that's when I got back involved with college radio because when I was in San Francisco, I just went to shows all the time. And, you know, the scene, it was very easy to be part of a scene. And in some communities, the radio station really is the glue for that scene if it's, you know, a very small town in the middle of nowhere. So I, I think you're right. In San Francisco, we're pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. I loved hearing from everyone here about how you each tie in to your local scene one way or another in the local folks, whether and whether you're in, in a big, big metroplex like uh, you are in San Francisco or you're in smaller cities like Evansville or Fort Collins and, and emphasizing all of that and, and finding a way to invite and bring people in. And I think that that's what we're, we're seeing. So if we, if we think about landscape, right, and we make this land, <laughs> you are on these places. And it sounds like we have these examples, and I'm sure there's dozens more people here at College Broadcasters Inc. Convention with, with these same stories talking about who can tell us how they are part of the land. They're part of this place where we are and we're instantiated and we're local. And to me, I think that's how we're kind of answering this question. And I, it wasn't a loaded question when we went into it. I didn't know that this is where it was going to go. I don't think any of us knew. But I'm, that's what I'm hearing as this answer of, of what is college radio's role in this landscape? Well, it's part of the land. We are here. We are not helicoptering in. We're not piloting in. And, and part of the, the – and not just the land, but the people. Yeah, the people, right. That, that's really the most important part of it, the right? The community. The community. <laughs> that word again. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, but there is there – is, I'm really hearing this sense of place, Right. And so the community, certainly you're all online. Right. So you, you definitely have a national, international community of people who who used to live in your cities and tuned in or just stumbled upon it and found it and are big listeners because they love something you do, whether they live in the Netherlands or Australia. And don't forget everybody's parents and friends. <laughs> everybody's yeah. parents I know lots and of your parents are listening to you online. <laughs> but I think that that's. That's what's emergent here. And I think if we're going to send uh, a message over to the University of Evansville, right, it's going to be that message. There you are in Evansville, and you have these students there in Evansville. And there's a role for everyone to play. And that's the one that I, I know, not I think, I know they're not seeing is they're losing an in- if this goes through, which unfortunately I think it will. The alleged sale of the college radio station to a... To a, somebody. To, to somebody. To a yeah. for-profit somebody. And I have not been able to find who it is. But um, they're going to lose a voice 
And one of the things, uh, and by that I mean a voice for their university. Mm-hmm. One of the things I tell our administrators, we keep track every year of how many promos we do of university-based events and how much we would be selling those for, which just shows you the value of the radio station to the university just for that alone. Yeah. And uh, there, it's hard to get that university name out to the community wide, and I, I think they'll come along if this happens. They're going to go, dang it, yeah. this wasn't the money's pretty missed. but we're losing something yeah and you, you'll never get they'll never get that back which is always what's sad to right. me mm-hmm. well thank you john morris you're the president of college broadcasters incorporated as well we want to say thank you to amy myers you're a kusf you're a music director there and also thank you to avery martin you're a cbi board member student representative and you're the production director at kcsu 90.5 fm we are radio survivor we're at radiosurvivor.com you can find the show at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast if you have any questions or comments we we usually read them and we usually answer them and sometimes we put them on air Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. What is the role of your college radio station? Or what is the role of the station that you love listening to, that you've never never stepped foot in, but you've been listening to and and taking in? Think about that. And what would happen, and we're not going to ask this question now. It was on our list. What would happen if it were gone? Too scary. Too scary. So let us know. (laughs) Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I'm Paul Reismandel. I'm Jennifer Waits. I'm Eric Klein. Thank you, everybody. 